Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. made in the image of God, which means that you are inherently sacred. It's not a matter of opinion. Welcome back to Just Thinking. There are many today who are struggling to understand their identity. As Abdu Murray just said, the fact that we're created inherently sacred isn't a matter of opinion, and God has a lot to say about our identity. So how can we take what God says about identity and share that with those who are wrestling with this question or with same-sex attraction? Let's find out as we rejoin RZIM speaker, Abdu, and Brandon Cleaver as we hear their answer to how Christians should respond. I think that one of the most important things that we can do is show love to them, uh, letting them know that The first and most important thing is that, just as we've talked about, is that they're made in the image of God. That uh, no matter what their uh, sexual attractions may be, that God loves them, uh, that he cares for them. And you know, oftentimes we think about how to reach the world, how to reach people on the outside of the church. And we go through, we, we come to conferences like that, and we want to get all these data points and write down all these different propositional things. But Jesus also made it very clear what we're to do. He said that, you're the, that they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. So a lot of the times it's this factor of love both inside the church and outside uh, that will have a great impact. So I would say that one of the biggest things is show them love. And, you know, way back in the Old Testament, Jesus, or excuse me, uh, God called Israel his treasured possession. And he said that the reason that I chose you is so that I can make you uh, a light to the nations so that by through you, they will desire me. And I think that that same message goes to us as well as the new church. In what ways can we embody the love of Christ in a way that others will desire him? I'm not saying that that means that we should then be uh, okay with anything that scripture clearly uh, prohibits, but Oftentimes, um, we become so fixated on certain sins um, that, that it can come off as hateful. I was at a public university, and a young lady walked up to the microphone, and she asked this question, and she says, I heard you all talking about uh, different religious systems and all this. I've looked into the different, different systems. What does the Bible have to say? What does Christianity have to say about my sexuality? And clearly talking about her same-sex attractions. Uh, so it was, it was my question. Um, so I walk up to the microphone. You know, there's pin drop silence in the audience because they're all waiting to hear what I'm going to say. And so am I. Um, <laughs> So what occurred to me was this, though, a couple of things. So, you know, we're talking about different religious systems, and you've looked different places, and I, I appreciate that you looked there. Uh, but there's only so many items on the menu. 
there's atheism, there's monotheisms of various stripes, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, there's pantheistic thinking, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, and every other ism, and Confucianism, and these kind of things. And they all, that's all, that's all there is, really. So what, what, do they affirm you? I mean, the thing about atheism, in atheistic thinking, Richard Dawkins says, this is a direct quote, he says, we are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for living. Well, if same-sex tra attraction and same-sex behaviors don't actually propagate DNA, then same-sex behaviors, which I think he affirms is okay, is cardinally sinful because it doesn't propagate the sole purpose for which we exist, which is DNA propagation. So that won't give you an answer. If you look at the pantheistic worldviews, if you go to, there was a uh, incident that happened in India where uh, a member of the Indian royal family came out as gay, as gay Manmandar Gohil. Uh, uh, he came out as homosexual and his mother took out a full page ad in a paper that said, if you call Manmandar my son, I will sue you for defamation. And they burned effigies of him in the streets. So that's not exactly affirming either. And I told her, you couldn't even ask that question in some Islamic countries. So there's only so many to choose from. Now the question is, what does the Bible say? And not just what does it say, because that's pretty clear. Why does it say it? This is the key, this is the fundamental key, I think, friends, to reaching out to people, is because they know what it says and they think they know why it says it, is that it's just bigoted. It doesn't care about us. And this is the issue, and I told this young lady, this is, what, this is why the Bible says it. It's pretty clear that sexuality is supposed to be expressed within the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman. Now why? Back to what Brandon said, we're made in the image of God, which means that you are inherently sacred. You're not incidentally sacred. You're not sacred because I say so, or because your mom says so, or even because you say so. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of inherent quality of who you are because the one who created the universe creates you with dignity. So you are made in the image of God that is an inherently Judeo-Christian thing to say. So you are sacred no matter what you believe, how you act, no matter what, you're inherently sacred. Now, here's the issue. You are a product of a process and you are the sacred product, which means the process is also sacred. The process by which you come about is sacred. So if you're the sacred product and the process is sacred itself, the sacred needs protection. It needs to be bounded within a certain um, sphere because if it becomes whatever you want, then it loses its sacredness, doesn't it? It becomes meaningless and throwaway and common. It loses its depth and profundity. Think about the pornography industry. The, one of the reasons why the most common questions we get asked by young people are, does my life have meaning? How do I get off pornography? And why shouldn't I kill myself? Those all three are related, by the way, because sexuality, the ultimate human expression physically we can have for another human being, has now become so commonalized that it loses all specialness. And so the society says that if you, if you act in a sexual way, that is the ultimate expression of human, of human existence, the ultimate physical expression. But now we've made it so common, so it's lost its ultimateness, if, if, uh, uh, if you will, which means that our significance is now lost. And if our significance is now lost, why shouldn't we just kill ourselves? That's sort of the thinking. So in order to keep sex sacred, there has to be bounds. She was nodding. Then I said, well, why is it between a man and a woman as opposed to just love? 
Why is it man and woman in the bonds of marriage? Why is that? So we have the sacredness of the act, which produces the sacredness of the human. But why? Because there's a unity of diversities, once again, between a man and a woman. And if you don't know how different men and women are, psychologically and spiritually and other ways in terms of expressions, just get married and you'll find out really quick. <laughs> but there's a complementarity to, human, to, to, to men and women. And this goes back to Genesis 1, 27, and then Jesus' reiteration of it as well. When they asked him about marriage, why do you say it's a sinful, sinful to get a divorce when, Jesus, when Moses gave us a writ of divorcement? And he says, because of the hardness of your hearts. But did you not read in the beginning? He created them. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his image. That's a very interesting way to put it because if he made them in his image, in, his, in, in maleness and in femaleness, that means something, that in my maleness, I bear something of God's image that is unique to my maleness. And in a woman's femaleness, she bears God's image equally in her femaleness. That's why the Bible, you know, God calls himself father and he sends the son and he has the pronouns he, but he also refers to him in feminine terms where wisdom is approved of her children and oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings as a mother hen gathers her chicks. There's a motherliness and a fatherliness to God that's there. And we each individually, as males, as females, bear something of God's image, which means that when I have a relationship and I take a woman and I swap her out for someone just like me, I lose something in the process. I lose that image of God that the woman can give in that relationship. And if she swaps somebody out for me, just like her, she loses something as well. And God doesn't want you to lose the reflective splendor of being able to bear some, or, or reflecting something of God because God himself is a unity of diversities. So marriage is a unity of diversities reflecting God. Marriage is the gift that allows us to reflect something of the divine. We are given the blessing of reflecting God's diversity in his unity. And marriage is the gift of that. And so anything that takes us away from the gift, God does not want for us. See, the Bible is not about prohibiting certain conduct. It's about protecting the beautiful. And I said, you are that beautiful creation who God wants for you in some way. Now you might struggle and say, well, if God wants it so bad, why do I have these desires? And the answer is the fall. Every, homo, every homosexual and every heterosexual is equally broken in every way. We're all broken. We're all in, I said it yesterday, the Arabic phrase, we're all in the same wind, we all smell the same stink. Because we're all broken in every way, shape and form, all of us. So I as a Christian recognize that my brokenness needs a savior, so I have no right a Christian especially has no right to look down on someone and say, it's because of your same-sex attractions, you're somehow less than me. How dare you? No way. You don't want to affirm their, 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 their desires, but you can say, we're in this boat together. Let's struggle. I have my own struggles. If you bear your soul, I'll bear my soul. And this goes back to what the church ought to do, is create better community create an invitation for those who are struggling with this, who say, you know, oh, I gotta be married to be fixed. You know, we, we fix people up. They're not broken. Being single is not broken. If you're single, you ain't broken for that reason. If you got other reasons you're broken, that's not one of them. Paul and Jesus were perpetually single. No one would say they were incomplete people. So, but we do need to create community foster community, foster relationships. Maybe their desires will change. Maybe God will, will, will create a revolution in their, in their lives, but maybe he will not. 
but they subject that to the Lord. So the first thing is we have to tell them why the Bible says what it says. It does say what it says, but it's there to give us something, not to take something away. It gives us the gift of reflecting God's splendor in his unity of diversities. But if you never get married, that doesn't mean you're never gonna have the chance because what happens at the end of the book? Not just judgment, there's a wedding of unity of diversity. The eternal, pure, absolute paragon of morality, the very source of all being, marries a once very corrupted, very temporal, very self-centered, but now cleaned up bride. We all get to be part of the wedding eventually. Unity of diversity, once again, in the very marriage, in the end. So when you offer that to people, they might reject it, but you can say, reject the real thing. Don't reject the sort of picketing signs, hate-filled language. Reject the real thing. I'm sorry I'm going on for quite some time, but your question is so incredibly valuable because unless we do it in a way that shows this is the the reason why I believe this and why the Bible says what it says, they will never be able to reject the real thing. But worse yet, they will never be able to accept the real thing. We're all in this together. And I think if we show them that dignity and that love and why the Bible says what it says, we'll see hearts changed. You've been listening to Q&A from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference. And you can purchase a copy of this entire Q&A series by calling us at 1-800-448-6766. Or you can order online at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia. It's because of your prayers, support, and encouragement that enable us to help the thinker believe and the believer think. To learn more about RZIM or how you can partner with us, be sure to call us or visit our website, 